Good evening, everyone. My name is Samaj McDowell. I'm your host for the Geopolitical Pivot, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode. We're delving into a very interesting conversation, which was alluded to on a particular previous uh, episode when we were talking about psychoinformation campaigns, psychological warfare, utilizing uh, mass media technologies. Uh, I wanted to do a a episode on disinformation itself uh, since it's a highly a highly interesting topic that's very prevalent in today's world especially with the expansion of uh, information technologies artificial intelligence as well as the increasing of how many people utilize social media platforms and mass media through news networks and it just overall being able to get information on a daily basis disinformation is something that has to be taken extremely seriously and we've seen it in 2016 with the the united states elections we've seen it actually in 2018 midterm elections in the united states in particular states uh we've seen it uh, leading up to the 2020 election and currently now there are disinformation campaigns happening in georgia uh to skew the the georgian senatorial races one way or another but I think that is interesting to talk about disinformation because we're talking about a tactic that is intended to essentially erode away the, the liberal open societal foundations of the West, now, especially when it's utilized by countries such as Russia, uh, China, um, and Iran. Uh, with disinformation, a lot of people like to think that it, Disinformation comes in the body or the notions of being an automatic lie or a fallacy when that's not always the case where there's been some instances where disinformation campaigns um, or as it used to be called by the CIA political warfare where there has been instances where actual truths regarding government operations have been spread to undermine public support, public opinion, um, or or general cohesion within a particular society based off of the uncovering of rather distasteful and non-supportive government actions behind the backs of the people. We see that with you know, WikiLeaks or the notions of whistleblowers and that's an example of essentially how disinformation can actually utilize actual information for the basis of putting the people against the government. Uh, one of the main countries that are that's demonstrated a very huge capacity and successful capability in doing this has been Russia. Uh, Russia has a history, and I mean a history, going back to Ivan the Terrible, uh, once he labeled himself as Tsar, uh, the first Tsar to be um, essentially utilizing or the main central figure of utilizing disinformation uh, in order to prop up a an alternate reality um, with this alternate reality is very it's very dangerous especially when we're now in an age of the digital era and with the digital era it's very hard especially with the growth of data transfers uh, as well as the, the amount of the sheer size of how many people are utilizing 
the the social media platforms today it's very hard uh to to bring under control disinformation campaigns uh, but sometimes disinformation is not done on purpose sometimes disinformation happens on a circumstantial growth of pol growing political realities look at the the movement in which propelled donald trump uh, the notions of conspiracy theories uh, in two case two case studies outside of in the united states when we're talking about uh, disinformation campaigns that are utilized to catapult particular uh, political movements into power and then utilize the bureaucratic institutions and resources to continue that disinformation for their own benefit we look at the cases of Poland and, and Hungary, especially under Orban. These, these particular countries, the United States, Poland and Hungary, have something in common, and that's utilizing conspiracy theories as a disinformation a political warfare campaign against their own people in order to ensure the establishment of a new elite that then becomes the source of the new power and to provide power to those that are loyal. The same thing that happened with Vladimir, uh, with, uh, Vladimir Lenin um, in the, the establishment of the Bolshevik Revolution. Once this information sets in, it's very hard to extract it, especially once it is acquired by massive media organizations. So in the United States, you have CNN, MSNBC, uh, Fox News, um, and a few other mass media uh, organizations. However, then what we saw, well, what we continue to see with the onslaught of the Trump's push with false rhetoric of electoral college fraud or electoral fraud with the, the previous presidential elections, then now you have things like Newsweek, you have OAN, you have all these other media platforms that spew disinformation conspiracy theories known as active measures um, to continue the construction of a rhetoric of alternate realities and if a and if an adversarial power sees this they can then exploit that ad, that alternative reality disinformation campaign and utilize their bureaucratic resources through intelligence agencies to exploit it as a means to undermine the, the the country of choice what becomes even more dangerous is once that disinfor that disinformation campaign then moves onto multiple social media platforms and the the grievances that the disinformation campaign begins to attract and connect people across borders now it becomes a transnational disinformation campaign and that could have been purely unintentional and coincidental it's, it's not a a fallacy or sometimes it could be by accident it could be on purpose where we see american white nationalists and their rhetorics are then picked up by prussian populist nationalists in germany or Orban nationalists and Polish nationalists, or Spanish nationalists, or pro-Brexit uh, British nationalists. That alludes to the point earlier where the problem that we're seeing 
is that disinformation in the 21st century is picked up by these new information digital revolution software programs and the internet and once that happens the the process of disinformation becomes not only cheaper but it's also quicker to utilize as a means to get the information out there to get the operations on the way and it's less risky at because of the notions of there's confidentiality and plausible deniability that goes under utilizing a disinformation campaign this is one of the things why iran likes to utilize proxy warfare through the irgc so that it cannot be held accountable for the sponsoring of terrorism that it it participates in as a a regional and all right global grand strategy in the middle east in northern africa central asia and in south america same thing can be said about the Russians, which goes back to the very, as I said, goes back to the Ivan the Terrible, where the establishment of not just these private uh, security forces um, to ensure obedience to the Tsar, but also as a way to sow discontent in particular, let's say, in particular populations that the, the Tsar or the head of state may seek to subdue to ensure that political power remains vested at the helm and, and it's not contested. Um, the same thing can be said about the Chinese. Uh, the Chinese has been able to establish not just a great firewall to ensure that disinformation and cyber warfare and, um, and misinformation well, misinformation that the Chinese government did not propagate um, is able to seep into into China, the People's Republic of China, to then further sow discontent against the Communist Party of China that then instigates what they what's known as the Mandate of Heaven. Um, disinformation now has a problem because we're seeing a merger with cyber warfare tools. Um, because it's now overlaid with cyber warfare, now we're getting into a situation where we're seeing networked computers and different softwares being utilized to further expand the type of disinformation that's being spewed. So at this point, not only can disinformation campaigns target you know, the, the strategy of the hearts and minds of the targeted population and audience, but also can now target uh, computer softwares and mass media organizations to widen the spectrum of potential audiences and grievances. That's a problem because you're expanding data. You may be potentially enlarging the population that you're trying to target. And at that point, if it gets too large, then there may be dire consequences that may uh, that may be produced after the fact. Such as, for example, if you're pushing a particular disinformation campaign about police brutality in the United States and it gets shared across the, the Internet and mass media. However, it wasn't taken into consideration or projected that the disinformation police brutality in the United States will find its way back into the, the perpetrator country who may also have a history of police brutality. At that point, the, the problem becomes far worse because the perpetrator has lost control of the scope of the disinformation campaign. In that sense, 
it's harder to control. It's harder to maintain and steer it and keep it in a particular direction. And it's harder to isolate the, the aftershocks, the implications of a massive disinformation campaign. Therefore, it has become much more dangerous, um, a, a much more dangerous tool for not just uh, sovereign states now. Now we're talking about non-state actors that are utilizing mass media for disinformation campaigns in addition to uh, being able to do uh, digital recruitments, especially as we see in Islamic jihadism and fundamental extremism not just for Islam, but also for right-wing white nationalism. Uh, but we also see this uh, in cyber warfare with hackings, uh, as well as uh, the, the, the recent uh, cyber attacks to the American Tre uh, Department of the Treasury and, and various other agencies, including 499 out of the 500 Fortune 500 companies that utilizes a singular uh, cybersecurity software program organization because not only is it cheaper um, but also the services I guess were much more adequate but now we have to reevaluate that because now we're seeing the combination the further combination of cyber warfare and disinformation campaigns um, but uh, the other side of uh, disinformation is that it doesn't always have to take the, the, the physical manifestation or at least the digital manifestation of you know, tweets and, and Facebook posts and YouTube videos, um, faked videos, uh, or even the, the releasing of actual information that we see through the WikiLeaks files. Um, disinformation um, in the, the modern sense, especially with the rise of populism, um, discontent against Western governments within uh, democratic uh, societies. There are certain factors that contribute to the ongoing process of disinformation, which is a very long process. Disinformation has to be methodical. It has to be covert enough to where it's not, it's not openly traced, but it has to be able to achieve overt influences while remaining hidden. That's the that's the, the tricky way of trying to hone in and master disinformation campaigns. If a disinformation campaign is surfaced when it's supposed to be covert, then we'll be able to hopefully have an easier way of conducting uh, a tracings and finding out who is attempting to do disinformation and then retaliate accordingly. However, with disinformation campaigns, especially then in an, a democratic society uh, that likes to ideal itself on the notions of being a marketplace of, of ideas where the false informations, hopefully including disinformation campaigns, are able to be filtered out so that the better ideas can be brought into the overall general society for the betterment of society. However... We're starting to see that, especially in the United States, that this polarization of society is establishing media platforms for both right-wing and left-wing um, organizations and extremism as these two sides are now becoming the mainstream 
therefore creating a massive vulnerability within the United States that can then be targeted by disinformation campaigns. It is very difficult for democratic societies to not only combat the disinformation campaign, but also to protect itself from it. You can't really necessarily be a fully functioning democracy while also adhering to very scrupulous, aggressive and, and at times clandestine and covert um, disinformation intelligence programs, um, all these operations. The United States did it. Yes, of course it did, especially in the, the 1950s through the Vietnam War and then also in the war in Afghanistan uh, on the notions of what's called surrogate warfare, uh, which is combining disinformation campaigns, uh, the military and proxies as a uh, coordinated and cooperative front in order to decrease the the likelihoods and the the experiences of losing uh, active or deployed personnel um, you're doing it through proxies you're doing it through disinformation political warfare operations you're doing it through um, now we're now doing it through cyber warfare and unmanned aerial vehicles uh, but there's other ways that that disinformation exists within liberal democracies that erodes the foundations of an open society, and furthermore, it ensures a a fracturing of society to deter trust uh, and and public opinion of democratically elected governments, uh, with the hope that it establishes an existential gridlock and crisis to national security. In order for disinformation um, especially when it comes to the rise of populism in the united states hence the the rise of donald trump um orban and um, the law and justice party in poland i mean even to an extent vladimir putin um, in 1999 um there has to be a a, cl a particular class of individuals in a society that has to be susceptible to not just disinformation but also susceptible to accepting the erosion of democratic tenets and democratic principles uh, for the notions of illiberalism for authoritarianism and demagoguery um, that we're seeing um, and, and living in this this wave of rejection of globalization this the return of nationalistic populism, um, the rejections of integration and diversity, um, the the subtle enlarging of xenophobia and immigration policies, um, and an overall backlash from what's perceived as much more traditional uh, forces, uh, more, more so on the extreme sides. But in order for that to occur, there has to be a particular class of individuals that have to believe or buy into the notions of conspiracy of these uh, disinformation campaigns, including conspiracy theories that allows the, the disinformation to spew its rhetoric across uh, the a population and garner support that then allows uh, the growth of discontent and instability that we're primarily seeing across Western Europe. And that's not necessarily a, a poorer class of, of people socioeconomically, um, but it's much more a poorer class and socio-politically that becomes, or at least willing, to become duped unconsciously 
uh, or at least subconsciously to this particular elitist class of intellectuals. In the 21st century, this includes uh, bloggers and people that like to create um, the Facebook uh, events that people that I'm going to, or maybe I'm interested, or maybe I'll go, but not really. Um, it spawns from those types of people, and it also becomes a, a, a useful tool for disinformation, which we saw in 2016 and 2018, a presidential and midterm elections, where we had Russian bots, essentially established pro-Trump and anti-Trump, pro-Clinton and anti-Clinton protests to occur at the same location at the same time across the street from each other. Russian bots. But however, they made it seem that it was actual Americans that were protesting that were actually going to, to participate. And what happened? Actual Americans came out and participated and some of them led to actual violence. That is... The work of disinformation, utilizing cyber tools in the digital digital era. It is cheaper to do it. Facebook is free. It is effective. You can buy, or you can do certain subscriptions in Facebook to expand the audience that you're of how many people that you can have to essentially see your event. It is low risk. It is hard to trace back to its origins. So with this, disinformation, just like authoritarianism, just like illiberalism, it depends on people who are willing to promote the information. False information or correct information. It depends on people that are willing to subconsciously act and promote it they need people who are able to have a, a, a mastery of language, a mastery of promotion, a mastery of media manipulation to push forward these disinformation campaigns to a particular base. It doesn't have to be majority of the people, but it has to be to a particular group of people that are able to be loud enough to appear not only bigger than how, than how big they actually are, but are actually big enough to garner enough attention to expand destabilization. That is covert disinformation utilizing or producing overt open influences that are undermining and eroding democratic, political, economic, and social institutions for the benefit of an adversarial power whether it's a, a sovereign state or a non-state actor. That's where disinformation has gone thus far. Disinformation needs a crowd as well as a, a source that's able to give it a voice so that it can exploit and manipulate various uh, political, social, economic um or spiritual in some cases where we now we're talking about religious tensions and ethnic tensions. It needs a way to exploit these grievances in order to manipulate the, the attitudes and to utilize that anger and fear towards political institutions or particular outgroups. By doing this, these, these intellectual 
cadres, I guess if that's what you want to call them, they then launch this disinformation war, whether they know it or not, on the rest of the establishment of a particular country or society, even if it include, even if that means that that war would be targeting people in their family, their friends, their colleagues, fellow senators, uh, representatives, whatever the case may be. Disinformation is like a weed. It grows and grows and grows, and as it grows, it starts to interfere in the livelihoods of flowers and other plants. They wither and they die while the weeds continue to grow and extract the nutrients and the resources that these other uh, plants need in order to survive. Until And you don't, you don't even know that the weeds are there until it's too late, until you see the indication of erosion of life from these plants, from these trees. Um, and these plants and trees are obviously figurative for the economy, for political cohesion, for social cohesion, for the establishment of stable political institutions, for elections, for defense and national security, um, for even the allocations of necessary resources to ensure that civilians are able to receive the basic goods and services that they need in order to you know, continue to live. Disinformation is it, it goes deeper than that. Uh, it, it calls for essentially, especially when it's utilized by Russia um, and China, essentially the, the collapse of the Western ideal. Um, and through the collapse of the Western ideal, these particular adversarial powers are able then to exploit the, the vacuum of power that's left with the, the retreating, the slow retreat of American power, both militarily, both economic, as well as economically and financially, at least through soft power, uh, culturally. Disinformation is the cheapest, uh, one of the cheapest ways uh, to ensure the the success of a particular power below the framework of actual declarations and uh, mobilization for conventional or even potentially nuclear war. The reason for this is because cyber operations, especially including political warfare, in some cases is very difficult to determine if it is actual grounds for a conventional warfare response. However, that we're seeing, especially with the recent cyber attacks by Russia, that in some cases, depending on what the target is, it may not even just it may not just be people. It can be actual facilities uh, such as strategic infrastructure that if they are at the if they are the target they're at the center of these operations and that it's successful and you have a failure of these strategic infrastructures depending on the locations of the strategic infrastructures more people a lot of people will die will be impacted negatively will have their entire life uprooted by the failures of these strategic infrastructures. And strategic infrastructure pertains to anything that's related to the continuation and the protection of a, of a country, the protection of its sovereignty and its self-determination, the upholding of the rule of law, as well as to ensure the, the continual operations of the economy and to make sure that people are able to receive their, their, their basic needs met, the goods and services, socioeconomic opportunities, energy, protection if any of the strategic infrastructure is gone by these types of operations that can grind an entire country to a halt then expand pandemonium which then could also become the subject to an enhanced disinformation campaign to ensure 
that our country is either in a, a permanent state of regression or complete collapse. It is meant to re to redefine or alter the reality of particular countries to unravel political social contracts, which was no, a notion implemented um, or at least talked about by John Locke, um, as well as to potentially, if it doesn't come down to the complete collapse of a country, it comes down to the altering, especially when we're talking about democracies, the altering of the rules within a democratic society um, that allows for the growth of populism, authoritarianism, or the establishment of a particular order that is conducive to the national interests of an adversarial power um, that would then allow them to expand their, their sphere of privileged interests. Um, that is in itself playing on the weaknesses of democracy and that's being an open society. That you have authoritarian adversarial countries that have these safety measures in place to ensure that the, the government or the, the leader does not succumb to disinformation campaigns, to political warfare or other types of political warfare campaigns uh, to ensure that the, the society does not become unhinged by the operations of other country, uh, by the countries. For example, we saw that with the ousting of Mohammed Mozadeh um, in Iran in the 1950s uh, with, and then the implementation of Reza Shah Pahlavi which then led to the 1979 Iranian Islamic Revolution in 1979. Uh, we've seen that in Afghanistan. We've seen it across the the Arab world, especially in Iraq. Um, we've we've seen it in Central and South America. Seen it across Africa. To and to this day, we still see it in Africa. It's the undermining of democratic principles um, through the exploitation of open societies allows disinformation campaigns to thrive and unfortunately is it gets to the point where the damage has already been done for democratic governments and institutions to then adhere to trying to mediate and contain the damage as a democratic society tries to look towards combating disinformation it then runs the risk of essentially implementing some sort of security regulations um, or initiatives that may curtail the the health and the conditions of an open society or this free marketplace of ideas that is against the tenets of democracy. So you can't, it's very, I mean, you can do it, but it's very, it's very difficult to be a full-fledged open society democratic country that has you know, honest and transparent elections and is able to protect itself from false information, misinformation, disinformation, while at the same time conducting disinformation covertly um, as quietly as possible. In order to do that, you have to conduct operations that go against the frameworks of not just uh, a liberal social contract, but also the the continuation and the preservation of an open society that it's supposed to be for by and with the people. Western adversarial countries understand that. They understand that the best way to destroy a democracy is to destroy it from within, not necessarily to invade it. You don't have to do that. Within democracies, you have multiple types of interests that you can exploit to put groups against groups. Fundamentally, it weakens or at least brings the legislative 
body into a bureaucratic gridlock and then applies pressure onto the head of state or the head of government to attempt to implement some sort of changes to appease as many groups as possible. But as disinformation campaigns continue and because that the data is so massive and the blowout uh, cannot really be measurable because of the sheer size of people that are online and utilizing mass medias and that how much exposure through mass media companies, especially through the notions of television news and, and radio and social media, democracies are going to have a very difficult time to ensure the diminishing disinformation campaigns and the proper defense and and retaliation to disinformation campaigns. Well, <laughs> I think what democratic countries are going to have to do um, is, and this kind of goes also to cyber, cyber protections, uh, was known as like the fifth domain, they have to essentially, we have to understand, further understand the history of disinformation in order to find the evidence, or at least the, the initial presence of disinformation in order to combat it. You can talk about historical um, events that have occurred, but if you don't really understand those events or these, how those events have led to the development of these particular tools uh, for active measure political warfare operations, Disinformation will be able to continue covertly, um, especially in this notion as the United States and a lot of Western countries are unraveling due to um, polar, massive polarization that hasn't really been seen for decades. If that cannot be brought into reality, especially when we're talking about policymaking against disinformation um, or counterintelligence operations, also known as COIN, then disinformation uh, campaigns will continue to grow not only cheaper and effective but those who participate in it will have a less risk of being surfaced detected and brought to justice so with that being said i spoke about 34 minutes so i think i'll, I'll leave it here um, i wanted to have a brief uh, conversation on disinformation and the vulnerabilities within a democratic society. Let me do an, a, um, a part two to this. Um, currently, I'm reading The Twilight of Democracy, The Seductive Law of Authoritarianism, Active Measures, The Secret History of Disinformation and Political Warfare. And another uh, book, let me see if I can find it, uh, Disinformation, uh, Former Spy Chief Reveals Secret Strategies for Undermining Freedom, Attacking Religion, and Promoting Terrorism. Um which was written by Lieutenant General Ian Mahai Pasepa, um, who was a Soviet intel officer. Well, once I continue to read um, these books and I start looking more into disinformation campaigns, there will be a, another part to this episode. But until then, I'm, I'm, thanking, I'm very thankful um, for your time. And this is Samaj McDowell, the host of Geopolitical Pivot. Logging out for tonight. Take care. God bless.